Frog Cutforth, and this is the end of all things. I'm uh, coming to you today from the inside of one of the cinemas inside the old corner house. I'm in here because I'm basically trapped in town as there's a Unite Manchester United match on. It's weird being in this cinema now that it actually isn't a cinema anymore. It's actually part of the university. Um, being in here with the lights on, it's taken on a much more corporate presentation type thing with a rostrum and stuff at the front and a desk and a chair. It's no longer just a cinema. I don't think cinemas are meant to be sat in with the lights on either. Manchester United are playing some football match, probably an important one, I guess, this time of year, I'd, I'd suggest or guess. And because I live in South Manchester, it's virtually impossible to get home. I, I'm supposed to be a Manchester United fan myself because I live in Trafford, and, and Old Trafford's actually the closest ground to my house. Um, my wife is a Red, and her family are all Reds. But uh, I suppose it's very difficult for me to do that on a day like today where basically I have to find something else to do for a couple of hours while all the awful football fans um, make their way to the theater of fucking dreams. Theater of Dream. How long do United have to be shit before they have to change that name? Edmonton had to get rid of City of Champions once the Oilers turned to shit. Um, surely United's ground needs to change to the um, theater of mediocrity. And yes, I know none of you will get that Edmonton reference. Except perhaps for that strange person that listens to this podcast in Morden, Manitoba. That's right, sir or madam. I see you in my stats, and every time I see you listen, I, I try to figure out how the hell you heard of this podcast and what it is that keeps you coming back. But anyway, welcome. It's not that I hate United. It's just that I have a hard time cheering for any sort of sports team that's got shitloads of cash. When Marc Messier went to the New York Rangers, loads of Oiler fans started supporting the Rangers, but um, not me. I stayed with the old Oilers. Uh, in fact, I actually like them better now that they're shit. There's something pretty wonderful, I think, about watching your home team lose badly, repeatedly. It's, uh, it's kind of like schadenfreude on yourself. Take that, Yogi Berra. And I, again, why am I doing Oiler stuff? No one's going to know what I'm talking about. Mainly because they are so god-awful and they've missed the playoffs again, so it's at the front of my mind. And, you know, being in a city that's got two very good sports teams just kind of rubs it in. I guess I, like I say, I guess I'm a United fan, except I never watch any of their matches because sports on TV is too expensive. I never go to the ground because despite it being open air, it still smells of 70,000 farts every time I'm there. And I'd rather die than wear any sort of football attire I don't know. I think once you're over the age of, I don't know, two football shirts just should not be worn. When United win, I guess, I mean, it's not like I hate them. Uh, when they win, I go, great. I guess that's good. Everyone I know is happy. And the other people that live in the poor part of the city aren't. Ha. That was some bants. Did you like that? Yeah, I won't do any more of that. When United win, I think, okay, I guess, which makes me a fan. I, I mean, I think. Uh, I think, well done, millionaires. I'm so glad our millionaires 
beat that other team of millionaires. You really kicked out a lot of those balls in the net, millionaires. Well done. Um, I'm, you should be very proud of yourself. And uh, we really should take this seriously and not see it for the, you know, I don't know, boring thing that it is. It's, you know, grown men kicking a ball across grass. Let's all celebrate for a minute before going back to our own awful lives in this terrible world where drugs have stopped working and the sky is fast becoming poison. Today I talked to Sarah Bradley, who it's quite a good time to talk to her actually because I'm getting her just at the very start of her burgeoning and uh, quite exciting writing career. She's got one novel published and is a draft away from finishing her second. Um, The novel is out now and it's called Brick Mother. And I suppose what makes it interesting is that she decided to get published by an independent publisher. We talk about that and uh, talk about what the differences, I suppose, between the legitimate independent publishers and the ones who are scammers. Uh, it's difficult right now because the, the DIY kind of publishing thing is, is quite popular. And I think a lot of smaller companies take advantage of that. So Sarah has a good story about getting scammed. So listen out for that. She also had does a night in Leeds called Fictions of Every Kind. Um, and she also does in the Northern Short Story Festival. And she is putting together a short story collection to celebrate the life of David Olawale, who was... Uh, you know what? I'm not going to talk about that because we talk about it in the podcast. Listen to the podcast and then you'll find out exactly who he is. I think we actually did talk about her day job a bit as well, but I edited that out because day jobs are boring. Are you detecting a theme with this, with the podcast guests that I'm choosing yet? I don't think there's anybody, well, if there are, there are very few writers who are actually just writing. Um, Most of the people who are trying to make some sort of career out of it are doing loads of different things, and uh, Sarah is no exception. In fact, she does more than most. You know, it makes me feel a bit bad. I've, I'm just doing a, an MA in this podcast uh, alongside my writing and day job. So she's making me look a bit of a slacker. Maybe I should get my own night as well. Mm. Call it Nobody's Writing Matters But Mine and make everyone write stories about me and uh, possibly the podcast. That would go over well. Sarah is from a, this place called Leeds. Maybe you've heard of it. I knew very little about it. Uh, in fact, I thought Leeds was in the Northwest. I didn't realize it was in Yorkshire until two days before I took the train out there. Yeah, so uh, this podcast is meant to interview writers from the North. I, does Leeds still count as Northwest? It still looks like it's in the Northwest on the map. It's just in a different county. And really, there are very, I'm, I'm going to say it, I don't, there's very little difference between Lancashire and Yorkshire. There, I said it. Deal with it, Northern England. Anyway, I had this really funny joke all lined up about all cities that are plural being crap. But then I could only think of two, Leeds and Brussels. And uh, then I also remember that my hometown is plural. I was going to do that m- amazing joke in the interview, but I end up forgetting anyway. I don't know, why am I bringing it up now? I don't know. I asked Twitter about Leeds, about Leeds things to talk about. Like, what's, who's come from Leeds? Has anything ever happened in Leeds of note? And, of course, being Twitter, it's just all piss-takey 
Well, I don't know if it's pissed AKL. I got no real answers. I still don't know. Is there a famous Leeds person other than Jimmy Savile? Uh, wow, if there's Leeds people listening, they're going to be well offended at that. Um, yeah, so I know that Eric Cantona, I th- guess he came from there. And I'm talking about football again. Yeah, and if I asked my brother-in-law about Leeds, and he basically said it's impossible to use the word Leeds without putting the word dirty in front of it. Apparently that's some sort of football bants. I don't even know why Manchester United and Leeds United have any kind of thing, you know, being from different counties. The whole Derby thing I, I'm intrigued by and just don't get. You're from a place that's really close to mine, therefore I hate you. Anyway, football. I'm going to stop talking about football now. I don't know why I'm doing it. Leeds seems okay, I guess, from what I've seen of the train station. And Sarah lives in quite a nice area, which is close to the train. Well, she's actually not in Leeds. Uh, she's from a leafy burb. It's similar to Ermston, really, where I live. Just suburbanites and allotments, if that's anything to go by. Politics comes up in this episode. It's probably, the fr- I don't know if it's the first time UK politics have come up in this podcast. We end up talking about, randomly, the HS2 and uh, how much we hate the Tories. I don't like to talk too much about politics on the podcast, but I mean, there is just so much politics that it's hard not to. Politics is everywhere. I mean, the whole Brexit thing makes me crazy. The word itself, Brexit, makes me want to kill everyone. How the fuck are we meant to pick a side when both of them are backed by Tories? Gove versus Cameron, or uh, Boris Johnson versus George Osborne. It's like, it's like choosing what you're going to eat for dinner, and your only two choices are shit or vomit. I was just, I was literally just going to go with what Jeremy Corbyn was uh, going to, who he was going to choose, but he's come out in favor of staying in. But you can tell he does it through gritted teeth, and he's lying. So. He wants out. I don't know. If the country wasn't currently run by bellends, I probably would vote to leave. But, uh, you know, to leave it up to Cameron and Osborne to divvy up the money that we get back from Europe. Forget it. Speaking of money. I'm so good at these segues. It uh, comes up in this podcast again because I am utterly obsessed by money and how to get some. But in this one, I kind of run the risk of alienating everyone I know with a bit of a rant about free literature nights uh, again. And I know I've done this a few times, but, you know, I talked to Sarah about her night and she actually charges money. And I think it's a good idea. Uh, I think it works very well for evidently. And I think more nights should do it because people who read should get some cash. There are very few places to get any kind of money as a writer. So the more the better, in my opinion. And I realize that it stands in stark contrast to the way most people who are listening to this feel. But there you go. It's my podcast, not yours. And I'll say what I want. I don't know. I'm just sick of writing things and not getting any dough for it. Aren't you? You know, right now I'm writing a short story. I know, a short story. Anyway, uh, that I'm going to submit to a couple competitions, which is like the most soul-destroying thing in the world. And I'm paying money to submit my short story to them to be judged. And I just know that it won't win and it won't get shortlisted. And I'd be better off taking that cash and, I don't know, lining a a hamster 
cage with it. You know, hopefully one day I have to have an embarrassing backtrack and retraction of this someday when I actually win something, which will be never. But I mean, I have a very hungry midlife crisis that needs feeding and it needs feeding with complex gadgetry and fashionable accessories and frankly my day job isn't enough to cover it so I need some more cash for that I mean I just bought an orange I'm looking at them this very minute an orange pair of trainers that are really sweet um I'm just so sure that Everyone who looks at me thinks, who does he think he's fooling with his orange trainers? But I don't care. I just want to wear my obscene trainers when I ride my titanium fixie bike to Charlton and buy me some organic tofu from Unicorn. Is that too much to ask, really? Doing things for free will not get me closer to this goal, now will it? (sighs) That was almost cathartic. This is the interview now. Enjoy it. So what have you been doing with yourself all day then? Today, um, mostly writing. I'm trying to do, I'm sort of into the third, is that your bit of paper? Oh yeah, sorry. I don't want to put my um, drink on it. That's all right. Third or fourth draft of my novel, well, fourth, really. Oh, wow. And then, um, after I did that, I've got a lot of admin to do for this contest that I'm involved with running at the moment. Yeah. So I had to do... Where's my list? Oh, yeah. I had to work on my list. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Things to do. That's good. Well, I mean, it's not good. It's boring. Well, yeah, it's... Are Are you that kind of person that likes the admin? Well, I don't really like the admin, to be mm-hmm. honest. I like I like doing things well. Yeah. You know, I think there's a certain way that things should be done. Because mm-hmm. having been on the other side of it as a writer and being, you know, in... You know, when editors ignore your emails mm-hmm. and that kind of thing. Well, like, I wish. <laughs> <laughs> well, you'll, you'll get there. You'll mm. One day you'll get to the day when editors are ignoring your emails. Mm-hmm. And I just... I want to try and... Yeah. Not be that editor, so... Right. Okay, so you're... What are you editing? It's, um... It's a book, and it's going to be called The Remember Oluwali Anthology. You mentioned this. Hmm. Go on. Yeah, it's... I'm recording, by the way. You are. Yeah, yeah. I, I suspected so. Yeah. That's why I'm putting on my posh voice. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Don't do that. <laughs> um, there was a, a man called David Oluwali who yep. came to Leeds from Nigeria in the 60s, and um, he spent a lot of his time homeless or in psychiatric hospitals. And during the course of his time homeless, living on the streets in Leeds, there were two police officers who victimised and assaulted him regularly. Hmm. And um, in the end, he was found dead in the River Air. And it was never conclusively proved how he'd got there or how he'd died. Um, but eventually the two police officers were, were charged with assault. And um, there's a charity called Remember Alawali that does a lot of awareness raising about his memory to bring his life more into public knowledge mm. and to to force the city of Leeds or encourage the city of Leeds to think about <laughs> the things that, that David Alawali faced in his life, like 
marginalisation, homelessness, racism, right. exclusion, all those things. Right. So it's their aim that those things should never happen again yeah. in Leeds, and they do it by thinking about David Olawali. And so the aim of the anthology and the competition was to encourage people to write pieces that were inspired by the issues that he faced. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's been really great being involved with it. Right. Yeah. What kind of pieces are you getting? We've seen so many different things. Um, we had 70 entries in all. Uh, we took short stories and poetry and the range of approaches that people took and the things that they thought about relating to David were so different. Um, some. So is it poetry? Or is it actual like stories or? Stories and poetry. Oh, right. OK. So the, we had some people who sent in true stories of mm-hmm. asylum seeking in the modern day yep. and about people who have come to the UK and then been told, you've outstayed your leave to remain, you have to go home, mm-hmm. um, no matter how much tax you've paid. We've had yep. stories of people who, who were asylum seekers in the UK who became ill and the UK border agency tried to send them back even though they were at death's door. Mm-hmm. Um, we've had people writing about um, just more generalised tales about psychiatric care and mm-hmm. how how um, mental health can mean that you're excluded from society. So mm-hmm. there, there have been all sorts of different approaches and it's been so good to read the different stories. Yeah, it's interesting because that could have um, just become a cop hating <laughs> competition couldn't it i don't i don't mean to make light of it but it, it kind of yeah. it, it couldn't it, it's i think it's always interesting when people um do something like that and you get really kind of interesting and varied yeah. work i was amazed by the range of thing approaches that i saw because mm. the first few entries that came in by coincidence the first few that came in were very similar mm-hmm. and i just kind of thought at that point I thought oh goodness me are we going to see 70 stories mm-hmm. all with exactly the same approach that wasn't the case um, on the subject of cop hating it was actually a cop who brought David's story into public oh, right. there was quite a young police cadet called PC Galvin who blew the whistle on what the superiors had been doing not a really not an easy thing to do Yeah. Um, but it was the right thing to do and it was only because he did that that the story came into public knowledge. Right. Yeah. It's incredible. <laughs> I, I've learned so much doing this, doing this competition. Yeah. About leads of the six, 60s and about all the things that happened. And it's been a real eye-opener. Yeah. Yeah. This is quite a big year for you, really, mm. isn't it? Because you've yeah. got <laughs> quite a lot of things happening all at once. Yeah. Really. Yeah. Um, starting with the novel. Yeah. Brick Mother. Yeah. How did that come about and how did you get published? And are you enjoying it and is it amazing? <laughs> yeah. Um, well, I'm, I'm the sort of person who always likes to be active. I always like to be doing stuff. So mm-hmm. it's not unusual for me to have three or four or maybe five projects on the go at once. Mm-hmm. Brick Mother was published. It's, um, I find it amazing to think about it. It actually came out nearly two years ago now. Um I was writing it for a long time before I got it published, mm-hmm. and I was trying to get it published for a long time before I got it published. I think that's common, isn't it? Yeah. Mm. I had the idea for it because I used to work in a psychiatric hospital, mm-hmm. like the one that the novel is set in, um, and it, it, when you work in a place like that, you see how odd those places are and how 
oddly they make the stuff behave. There were all kinds of weird things going on in the place that I used to work with people not speaking to one another and people... Just staff, you mean? Yeah, staff. Mm. It was the staff who acted the most weirdest of all, Mm. far more oddly than did the patients. Yeah, probably because they they don't want to do the wrong thing, isn't it? You've got to be pretty careful, don't you? Yeah, you do have to be very careful Mm. and manage a lot of risk, but... um, yeah, it does, it does lead people to act in very, very odd ways. Mm. And at the time when I was working there, I was thinking this would be a great thing to do a novel about. Mm-hmm. But I was too much, it was taking up too much of my emotional energy working there to do it yep. while I was there. And then after I left, I started to write it and I was writing it for a long time. And uh, after I'd written it and I'd got a, what I thought was a really good draft, I started to send it out. And at one stage I was sending it out twice a month I think I was mm-hmm. trying to find places to send it to um, and I got a lot of rejection back and a lot of silence as well which was worse I think mm. when you send something out you don't hear anything back um, I I started to look into independent publishers because after I'd entered a few short story contests and learned a bit more about how publishing worked I'd start to think well independent presses are the best they're Mm -hmm. the way to go they're the ones publishing the most exciting books Mm -hmm. so I started to send it to a few independent publishers and a few that I really had my high hopes up for and I sent it to those publishers Mm -hmm. and they uniformly said no we don't like it Mm -hmm. (laughs) or we don't it's not our sort of thing it's not we don't like it enough and that's that's really hurtful and disappointing Mm. um but I I had such faith in it as a novel I just kept on sending it out. I did get fed up at times and I had a lot of really good writer friends who kind of helped me and encouraged me. And uh, I I had a really good year one year where I had a lot of short stories published in a year, which has never happened before mm-hmm. or since. <laughs> and, <laughs> and it happened that one of my short stories caught the eye of Nathan Connolly at mm-hmm. Dead Ink Books and he got in touch with me after this book came out. It was the LS13 anthology. It came out um, three years ago now. And he said, we really liked your short story. Have you got a collection or a novel that you could send us? Mm -hmm. I sent him the first three chapters and I just thought, well, I won't get excited about Mm -hmm. this because he'll probably just decide he doesn't like it like Mm -hmm. everyone else has. But he didn't. He did like it. And he got back in touch and said, I love this. I love all of it. I want to put you on the publication list for next year. And that was one of the most exciting mo- moments I've ever had as a writer. Mm, definitely. Yeah. Um, how did you decide, and I think that the thing about independent publishers for me, and because I'm such so cynical and jaded, I, I do think <laughs> there are a lot of scam ones, really. Oh, yeah. Um, how did you decide which were the good ones? Oh, yes, I have been scammed once. Mm-hmm. Well, not I, I had a scam attempt made upon me. Go on, and tell us about I'll that. I'll tell you about this. This is an exclusive. I haven't mm. spoken about this before. Yes, that's <laughs> what I like to hear. Uh, I, I was sending out a lot of short fiction at one time, and I was contacted via Twitter by an editor of a short fiction magazine which had a very good reputation in the literary community at that time. Mm-hmm. This was a few years ago, about four or five years ago. And uh, he said, oh, I'd, I'd really like it if you'd send us a piece in. So I got quite excited about that. I thought, oh, this editor's seen some of my work. I'll send a story. And I did send a story in, and I heard back quite quickly. And this editor said, 
oh, we, we liked this, but it's a near-miss for us. Would you like to run it through our critique service? And the critique service was a paid-for service. Mm-hmm, of course it was. Yeah. And uh, I was really shocked, and it really, really hurtful. Mm-hmm. And um, I sort of thought at the time, oh, God, is this what I've got to look forward to? Every time I send something out, mm-hmm. someone's going to be just trying to make money off me. That service... And that that magazine has now gone out of business. Mm-hmm. Yes. Of course, yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> well, it's probably just a front anyway. They probably it probably did it. Was it even a real magazine? It was a real magazine. Oh, right. It was a magazine that ran for a few years, mm-hmm. and uh, it did have some good stuff on its website. Yeah. It's it's hard to know sometimes, but yeah. the the clues are if a publisher's been running for a, for a long time. I think that's something that's mm-hmm. a good, reliable And they won't guide. charge you. You will never be charged for anything. No, no. No, never. I, d- I never I paid Nathan yeah. anything. No. Yeah. <laughs> no. Um, if, uh, if they've been running a long time, if they've got a back catalogue of different books, mm-hmm. if the covers are good, yeah. um, if the, the authors on it seem legit... Yeah, yeah. That's, that is the number one thing I always look at. If, it, if yeah. the covers are bad... Yeah. And I know it's a, such a stupid thing, but it's true, but the cover... And the, covers of some books you just think how is that how has that happened i know and you have to think as well do i what do i want my book to look yeah. like yeah and if the, even if that is a legit publisher and even even if they they aren't a scam artist who mm-hmm. charges yeah do you want your book to look like that no and it's worth holding out and having high standards i think yeah. no matter how keen you might be to get your book out into yeah the world, just wait a little bit was uh, was your novel one of the crowdfunded ones? Because they do crowdfunding. They do. That's a new thing. Mm. Uh, mine wasn't. Mine was one of the first print books they right. did. Before I came on board, they did exclusively e-books. Right. And then they started to do print books, of which mine was the first. Mm-hmm. And then um, this year, their list has been completely crowdfunded, mm-hmm. which is really exciting way to do it. Mm. And um, and. I think that's what they're kind of making ripples. Like it's, that's that's really worked for them as well to get their name out because it's quite. A, I think it's such a good way to do it. I mean, mm. I subscribe to a few different independent presses because it's exciting to get a book mm-hmm. in the mail yep. every month. And yeah. if you know it's a good publisher, you know you're going to get a good book mm-hmm. every two months or something. So that's that's the good thing about it. And the other good thing about crowdfunding, I think, is that you know you're going to be getting something that you like. Mm. You know. And it's a way to support new novelists that probably maybe aren't hugely commercial. Yeah. You know. How do they choose? Like how? I, I, the thing I don't understand about the crowdfunding thing is, you have to read the book before you decide to put money in. Mm. Is that right? No. Okay. You just go. You just take the. the you just take the, a blind the, the, chance. Really? <laughs> no, no. Well, I I crowdfunded for these novels because. I, I think Dead Inc are a good publisher, yeah. and I'd read some of Lachlan Bloom's short fiction okay. and s- some excerpts of his work online. Mm-hmm. And on that basis, I thought, I will buy his book. And, I, and I've bought Wes's book in the past, because Wes, Wes Brown, whose book is coming out this year, mm-hmm. this is his second novel, so yep. he's had a book out before. And I knew I liked both those writers. But to me, when I take a book out of the library or read a, buy a book from the bookshop, very often I'll only read a couple of pages mm-hmm. of it before I decide I'm going to buy that. Yeah. That's enough for me. And I, mm. it wasn't expensive. Yeah. I paid 30 quid, I think. And I got three books. Okay. And a bag and a T-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> so that's, that seems like a good deal. 
Why don't you also talk about this thing that you've got in front of us, the Northern ah. Short Story Festival. The Northern Short Story Festival. What is, is it, can it when it's a festival, like if it's a competition, I understand that, but if it's a festival, is it a competition as well? Oh, it's, it's a competition okay. and a festival. Right. And, oh, it's all sorts of things. Right, okay. All sorts. We, the anthology that I spoke about earlier on is coming out at this festival. The launch party mm-hmm. is going to be at this festival. So that's a part of it. Okay. We're publishing lots of new authors as part part of the festival. Mm-hmm. Then we have a festival day on Saturday the 4th of June at Carriage Works Theatre in which we have workshops, panel discussions, readings. There's all There are all sorts of things going on. Mm-hmm. Um, I couldn't really pick just one. <laughs> is there, is there the, a competition though as well or is it just because it's part... The contest is... No. There's not. Okay, the so answer. so it's basically you've got a, it's just a, a, a schedule of events. Yeah. Uh, and that's a part of a bigger festival as well, the bookend. The big bookend lead, festival. Big, big bookend. Okay. Although there will be a contest in which we give away a, a story critique by the author Avril Joy. Okay. As part of the festival, and that will be a really good prize worth winning. Okay. So um, keep your eye on Twitter for that. Sure. We haven't Would, quite worked okay. out the details. Right, okay. So you don't know if it's if they're going to be entering stories or... No, they're, they're not this year. Just a tombola. I, just a tombola. <laughs> well, I, I hope that the Northern Short Story Festival will become an annual event. Yeah. This is our first year. Mm-hmm. And I hope that we'll do it again next year. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe there'll be a short story competition as part of that. Yeah. But um, the the only contest that we ran was the Remember All the Wally one, which closed quite a while ago. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, what? Why do you set something like that up? Like, what? What compels you to do that? Because I'm assuming there's no money in it. No. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, I just I've got this sort of strange compulsive desire to do things all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, living in Yorkshire. There, there's not much help for writers, I've noticed. Okay. We have a couple of universities here, but we, our nearest writing development agency is quite a way away in Stockton. Mm-hmm. There, isn't, um, there isn't a writing development agency that's based in Leeds that's open to everyone. Okay. So there's not a lot of help for writers here. Mm-hmm. Um, so what I really wanted to do was um, do something about that. There are loads and loads of good writers and loads of good presses mm-hmm. in Leeds. Well, not in, not in Leeds, sorry, in the North. Mm-hmm. I think one thing that the North doesn't always do very well is shout about itself mm-hmm. and celebrate its own talent and its own um, the own ace things that happen here. And I wanted to develop a festival that had a focus for all that. Okay. So, and I love short stories, and I know that there aren't many short story festivals. I believe that the Northern Short Story Festival might be the only short story festival in the UK this year. Really? I, it, I think so. Ooh, I'm going to have to big check. Big talk. I'll have to check that. <laughs> I may be wrong about that. Yeah. Don't sue me. Yeah, um, that's quite good. <laughs> yeah. Cool. So, and I just want people to, I want people to come to Leeds mm-hmm. and to enjoy this great day that we've got planned mm. and get something out of it and for writers who are in Leeds who maybe are working hard on their own who don't get to meet other writers who don't yep. get a lot of support to come along come to the workshops come to the panel discussions mm-hmm. and just get something out of it yeah so do you do a lot of workshops 
Is that is that a thing? Because that, that's something that comes up with almost every podcast. I talk to people. I I don't teach a lot of workshops personally. Mm. I I would do if um, if the chance was there, and mm. I have done in the past. I'm not teaching workshops at this day because I'm going to be too um, busy running around panicking. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> with a walkie-talkie. Yeah. But we do have lots of workshops. We've got mm-hmm. this one called The Art of Murder, which is mm-hmm. with crime writer Alison Taft and Anna mm-hmm. Chilvers. That's going to be brilliant. I will give you some this, more I was just wine. going to say, this is, a very, this is a test of your multitasking. Should I do it by the... Reading. Uh, yeah. <laughs> no, we don't need people to know that. We're it's getting it's atmospheric. <laughs> yeah. um, so you are... All this short story stuff... Yes. But you don't really write short stories anymore. You're, well, you've come to the dark side. <laughs> I, I spent last year writing a lot of short stories, right. actually. And you... When I'm writing the novel that I'm writing at the moment, I spent six months on the first draft. Mm-hmm. I'm an obsessive writer and rewriter. Mm-hmm. So Me I'm, too. So I'm now into the fourth draft. Every time between drafts I put it away, mm-hmm. write a few short stories maybe, and then come back to it. Right. So you're not but, you've not finished with the short stories. Oh then? no, okay. absolutely not. Mm. No, I'd, yeah. I'd love to do get a collection together. Mm-hmm. I've got a lot of old stories that are not quite finished that are hanging around, and I one thing that I aspire to do is to maybe spend a, a year or two just working on everything and bringing it together into mm. a collection. That's something I'd really like to do. What's going on with this cable? I need to find something to do. To I was do with promised this. professionalism. I, no, I, I, I'm pretty sure I never <laughs> promised that. <laughs> I never promised that. <laughs> what do you want? Do you want a? Uh, no, no, I'm fine. I, it's fine. I've got. I've, this happens to me every time. So you think I'd have figured out some kind of solution to it? Um, I'm not sure. This if, never happened when I was on Radio One. I know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this question is so hilarious. I've, I've, since I've been in your house, actually. And seeing all the stuff, um, mm. I'm looking at a mug that says, I still hate Thatcher. Yeah. And um, one that says, amazing, poor people given power behave in the same way as privileged <laughs> people. And I put this question as a, as a piss take, and it's, it's even more of a piss take now. But <laughs> what do you, <laughs> the only reason I put this in is because I know nothing about Leeds. <laughs> but the one thing I do know about Leeds is that there's going to be a railroad that is supposed, supposedly uh, connecting. Yes. And I can... F- Feel your blood boiling about the whole thing. Yeah. I, don't, I didn't mean this to get political, but why not? Yeah. Shall we talk about the yes, NHS Yes, please. Too? Go on. So many deprived areas of the country are in the north. I mm-hmm. think it's like 10 out of the... Or 15 out of the 20 most deprived cities in the country mm-hmm. are in the north. Because we used to have industry here. We used to have mining and we used to have... Well, there's all this carry on with the steel industry at the moment. Mm-hmm. But... Since all that industry has closed or is in danger of closing, we don't have industry very much here anymore. Mm -hmm. We also don't have a lot of arts funding here Mm -hmm. by comparison with London. And to me, the solution to that would be to try and develop more industry in the North, develop more, give more arts funding to the North so that the North can develop, um, I don't know, develop its tourism, Mm -hmm. make more things, bring people to the North Mm -hmm. to see art exhibitions. We do have a lot of great galleries and museums in the North. Mm -hmm. And there there is good transport to the North already. It seems a bit wrong-headed to me to spend a lot of money building a really fast train track so that people can go to work in in London from Mm -hmm. Leeds 
instead yeah. of just spending that money on on the north. Yeah. Just give us all the money. <laughs> yeah. We'll think of something good to do with it. The other thing, I I can't help but think that you're a fairly cool person, judged by all the other stuff. I, I've I seen put all this here. stuff here, especially before you yes. came. I'm not normally this cool. There's a BMX bike. With a sticker on it that says destroying everything. Oh, that's my husband. Oh, right, okay. Is there, are the instruments his as well? No, they're, they're mine. Okay. Yeah. So you play music? Yeah, I play the... Well, I, I used to play guitar in a band. I saw you were going to talk about the bike. I was like, I don't want to talk about the bike now if it's not yours. <laughs> yeah, no. So I can, I can show you me having a go on the bike. That's a, it's quite wouldn't, a Probably wouldn't work very well on the radio. <laughs> um, yeah, I used to play guitar in a band a few years ago. We were called Bonsai Kittens and we... We played loads of gigs. We went to Poland once. Wow, <laughs> it was quite. Good. That was really exciting, actually. Mm. We um, we we weren't always very popular in Yorkshire because we there were two of us and we had a sequencer and we played this kind of really funny lo-fi pop music, mm. which a lot of people you probably have to have a specific sense of humour to get, and a mm. lot of people just didn't <laughs> get it. Right, <laughs> just, it's but, it's really strange mm. what a tiny mountain range will do because mm. if that was in Manchester mm. it'd be it'd be fine and it'd, you'd fit right in oh well I don't know though we we never had a good gig in Manchester did you not we, we went there we went there once one time we went to play a gig we came back and then a few weeks later Nikki who was my friend in the band was checking some of the message boards mm-hmm. and she sent me this link <laughs> <laughs> someone said someone had put on this forum um I hate this band. They were the worst band I've ever seen. They deserve to be shot in the face with a big gun. Wow. Not so, just a small gun. Not a big gun. Oh, in the face. <laughs> yeah. So we didn't go to Manchester again. Well, see, that. if you were a punk band, you would have worn that like a <laughs> Got badge it, of honour. Get it on a T-shirt. Yeah. Um, does any of the stuff that you do, uh, whether it's the festival, I see any of this stuff, or the, the uh, anthology, and there's something else that you... Uh, what's the other thing that you do? Fictions of every kind. Fictions of every kind. Yeah. Do these things get arts fund arts arts council funded funding? No. <laughs> right. Well, why not? The the short story festival is being run with arts council funding. Okay. That's come from Northern Accent. It's it was a pot of funding that was attached to the venue that mm-hmm. we were able to access for this event, okay. which I'm really excited about. It's made putting the whole thing on so much easier, and it means that we can pay everybody. We, I mean, we always pay people at fictions, mm-hmm. um, but what we can pay people depends on what we take on the door. Mm-hmm. So when we run fictions of every kind... It's a night, is it? Yeah, okay, right. it's a semi-regularly literary social. Mm-hmm. What we take on the door, we pay for the venue, and then we split everything equally between our speakers, mm-hmm. so everyone always gets paid. Do you? No. <laughs> right, okay. Uh, we did have a small pot of funding for fictions of every kind the year before last, which came from the council scheme. Mm-hmm. The council in Leeds run an arts funding scheme where you can apply for a small grant. It's really easy. You don't have to have a governance structure or a board of trustees or any of that. You can just send them a form to say, this is what, this is how much money we want. We want. Mm-hmm. And we wanted a few hundred quid to bring some more well-known writers to Leeds. Mm-hmm. We brought... Adam Marek, mm. Avril Joy, and Kirsty Logan and Tanya Hirschman oh, to right. Leeds with that money. Oh, Tanya Hirschman. She, thank you for that name drop. Yeah. She was on the podcast just the last one. Yeah, she, too, was, too she is so lovely and she, she is, was yeah. absolutely brilliant. Mm. And 
we're so glad that we got that money. But the the key reason why we got it is because it wasn't complicated to apply for. Right. The, uh, we have looked into getting more grants funding, but for me, the bureaucracy is too much. Mm. And to spend a long time learning to write grants applications and to do it well, to me, that's time that I could spend writing. Mm-hmm. And I, for that reason, I, I've never really paid serious attention to learning how mm. to do those funding applications. So what is Fictions of Every Kind then? Is it open mic? Yeah, it's it's aimed at writers, anyone who writes. Mm-hmm. I started it about six years ago because um, I was writing at the time and finding it very lonely and a bit difficult. And mm-hmm. um, a friend of mine who also had a background playing in DIY bands <laughs> was doing the same thing and we said, oh, let's try and start something so we can meet new writer friends. Mm-hmm. That was the start of it. So we always have invited speakers, mm-hmm. which is great. We've had some great ones over the past six years, mm-hmm. including Benjamin Judge, mm-hmm. who I believe is also... He was he, also on the podcast. <laughs> he's great. A very good friend of mine. Yeah. <laughs> he's a great guy, isn't mm, he? Yeah. So we had him a few years ago. This was not long after we first started. We've had loads of writers from Manchester, mm. actually. So we have the invited speakers, then we have an open mic for time for people to read their own work, mm-hmm. um, which we have... Um, we, any people can read anything. They can read poetry, mm-hmm. true stories, you know, a bit of their novel. Yep. Anything they want to read, and they can bring it. So, how much does it cost to get in? Three quid. See, I don't understand. Like in in Manchester, nobody charges yeah. and nobody gets paid except for evidently. It's, it's the only one I found so far. Yeah. That does that, and I think that model works better because if you go to um, some of the other nights in Manchester, and, and sorry, other nights. <laughs> I, I might not leave this any other because they're all my mates. You won't be able to go back. I know, but <laughs> I think the rooms are packed full of people. Yeah. And a lot of the times, it's people who are waiting their turn to go on stage rather yeah. than punters. Yeah. And I think charging might actually change that because if someone's paying to be there and knowing that. And plus, that allows you, that gives you the money that you can invite speakers, like you say, yeah. that have a bit of a name. Yeah. And that'll attract, I think, more punters rather than just other writers who are kind of waiting their t- turn to go on stage. Yeah. Yeah. I, I have observed that ph- phenomenon. Mm. Yeah. I, I think it's, um, the way that I always look at it is that if you charge three quid, it's not very much. Mm-hmm. It allows the writers who come as our invited speakers to get yep. paid, which is the right thing to do. Because mm-hmm. writers spend hundreds of hours yep. writing sometimes. Work they only get paid very small amounts. That's for. right. And I, I don't want to be a part of that. I want to pay writers where I can. Mm-hmm. And Good, I, think, I like you. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> you may come to my house. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, but also, that we really are trying to encourage a sense of community. Mm-hmm. I, I don't like going to nights where people are just waiting to go on stage mm-hmm. or where they leave as soon as they've read. Mm-hmm. I I think that's quite poor behavior. Mm. Um, I don't see that as, as often. Yeah. I think people, a lot, yeah. a lot of them, they will, lot, in, I'm only defending myself now and yeah. backtracking madly, but <laughs> I think that a lot of times the, the at least they'll stay to mm. the end. I, I don't know whether the door fee contributes to mm. that or whether people are just used to paying a door fee mm-hmm. in Leeds. Mm. There aren't, I don't know of many free events. In Leeds. I think a lot of people in the events in Manchester 
think that if they charge, no one will come. Mm, really? Uh, either, I, I'm assuming. That's the only thing I can think of why they don't do it. And I know that there's, there'll be loads of people listening to this saying, what, why are you getting people to charge? I like going to free events. And I'm sure there's a case for that. But, but to me, though, if you're going to a night... If you're getting something out of it, mm-hmm. even if that's just going to meet people and having a nice time in a night with a good atmosphere, because yep. we work hard to create a good atmosphere yes. as well. If you're listening to these great invited speakers, mm-hmm. why, three quid is not very much it's to pay. peanuts. Yeah. I don't care who you are. Yeah. I mean, it's not even a pint. Mm, you, exactly. go to, you go to the pub and, you know, you'll neck four mm. if, you, if you're on a good night. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I don't, I don't understand. And the, th- the other thing is, is that it will... I, I don't know. I don't mean to go on about this. Maybe I shouldn't. Is this a bit of a bugbear? It is. This is a bugbear, and this is something that's that's. It's one of the reasons I don't go to literature nights mm. anymore. Well, I never have really. Yeah. Um, because you can't get a seat for a start, and I'm old. <laughs> um, and I just think that if charging a couple pounds, and I'm I'm a, because I'm a forty year old, forty one, well year old writer. I'm sick of not getting paid for anything. Yeah. Um, I'm past the, oh, wow, look at me, I'm on stage, and oh, look, I got this thing published. Big deal. Everyone does. Mm. Um, give me some fucking money. <laughs> yeah. 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 I, yeah. Uh, that is the key thing. And, I mean, it's not even a lot. Like, what do you, like, I'm not going to ask you how much you pay your people, but mm. it's not going to be a lot of money, but it's something, you know. Yeah. It isn't a ton that we pay them. No. But, but yes, everyone gets paid at least their travel, and mm-hmm. usually more than that. Yeah. Because it's not right to ask someone who's, an expert who's really good at what they do, mm-hmm. who works really hard. And will draw a crowd, yeah. at, at least a little bit. Yeah, to come to come all this way to Leeds and <laughs> yep. to give give an evening out of time that they may have spent writing. Yeah. Otherwise, and maybe they've arranged childcare and mm-hmm. paid for that. And to not give them anything at all, mm-hmm. I couldn't, I, I don't want to do that. Mm. So that's why that's why we charge three quid, and that's why we always pay our writers. Money well spent. Yeah, absolutely. Um, what's your new novel about? Can you talk about it? Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, I don't. I don't want uh, spoil any surprises, mm-hmm. but it's uh, about squatters mm-hmm. and about squatting, and it's about this uh, young man who's uh, sad and angry and not sure what to do with his life, mm. and he's living in a squat. And at the beginning of the novel, he finds something out about his family and about his background that he really doesn't like and it mm. shocks him to his core and the novel is about him trying to reconcile these shocking facts about himself that he's found and trying to become mm. a decent productive member of society if you like I think it's interesting to, to write a book about squatting now because uh, I, I, I'm no expert it's but I think now illegal it's illegal? <laughs> yeah oh right Oh, I, I, I actually didn't know that. But I do know that it's happening a lot more now mm. under this government. Yeah. Um, I, one of the things that I've noticed, I've lived here for 10 years. Yeah. One of the first things I noticed when I moved to England was that there were no homeless people. There's no people sleeping in the streets, like none, in, yeah. in a city the size of Manchester. I couldn't believe it. Mm. And now it's not, probably not just as bad as the city I, I came from, but worse. Yeah. And we're kind of known for it yeah. uh, in North America. The homeless problems are terrible, obviously. But it's... Yeah, it's the last it, couple of years. It, it definitely. Yeah. Incre- incredibly different. I um, think there are some really big differences between the US and the UK and mm. Northern America. In nice. Yeah. <laughs> See, I know <laughs> I'm, I'm not lumping you good in. Catch. <laughs> <laughs> I think one of the hugest differences are a mental health system that we have here mm-hmm. in in the UK we have a law that says if you're 
mentally ill to the point where you're a danger to yourself or to others, you'll get to go to hospital. Right. And you don't, you, you might not like going to hospital, but you don't have to pay for your treatment there. So if you're living on the streets because you're mentally really very ill, you'll get to go to hospital and you'll mm-hmm. be treated for that. And that probably takes a lot of people off the streets mm-hmm. f- for a start. And I think we, I, I don't know so much about homelessness, but mm. I think we have quite a lot of shelters here and there are lots of places that people can go. Oh, there were. Mm-hmm. I think that's the problem. Two years yeah, because <laughs> I think there was like the whole council house scheme. Uh, I was really impressed by. I, mm. I couldn't believe that um, people just got homes. Mm. You know, it's such a foreign concept um, yeah. to somebody from North America. I think, and you know, you get the whole, you know, well, you know, not working for them. But you know, there's a, there's loads of reasons, and it and frankly, it worked. Why mess with that? <laughs> yeah. The last thing I want to ask you about, and it's something I always ask someone who lists themselves on their book by their initials. Yeah. Why did you choose to do that? Is it a a thing where you think that people won't read it if it's written by a woman? I would say that was a contributing factor. Mm -hmm. That wasn't the whole reason. The biggest reason was because my first name, Sarah, there are loads and loads of people called Sarah Bradley. So if right. you ever ah, try and Google me, mm-hmm. you, you can't find me on Google. Right. But if you type in SJ Bradley, you can find uh-huh. me straight away. Clever. Yeah. Uh, I'm always thinking. Yeah. <laughs> that's great. Um, that's. I think we've gone through everything, so that's fantastic. Thank well, you very much. That's flown by. Thank I know. you, Rob. You're welcome. <laughs> Tanya Hirschman and Benjamin Judge getting name-checked again. I feel like I have to invoke some sort of ban on these two as they keep coming up, as their names keep coming up in the podcast. And it's well embarrassing because Ben's actually a mate. I was almost going to edit it out just because I'm sick of hearing about the two of them. (laughs) But no, not really. They're both lovely. Afterwards, the interview, Sarah asked if I read Ben's 50 stories about Sting. Yes, I fucking read it. It's the third time it's come up in this podcast. And I've... uh, I've edited it out every time because he got his say during his podcast. So if everyone could actually stop talking about people who have been on the podcast before, that'd be great. Well, actually, no, you can talk about that's all right. I don't care. How nice is Sarah, though? I think it is okay to have a, a Yorkshireite on this podcast from time to time, uh, especially one that is a big champion of the North. When I arrived at her house and uh, went up to her writing room, I saw two mugs on her desk. An ACDC mug and a mug that read, I still hate Thatcher. So I knew immediately we would get along. Incidentally, the only ACDC mugs I know are the poor bastards who bought tickets to see them at the Etihad and are now stuck seeing Axl Rose front the band instead of Brian Johnson. <laughs> yeah, I wrote that joke down too. My, the jokes I actually write down are awful. If you ever think, you know, this guy isn't can't be 41, he's too young and virile. ACDC references, that will uh, bring you back down. You may have noticed that the intro is longer now and the interview is shorter uh, than usual. And that is because I've had a few people tell me that that's what they want. They say the intro is not long enough and the interview is too long. So I've done that. I felt really good about that actually thinking, oh, well, yes, thank you very much. I know my monologues are great. Until uh, my mate Tom, who was the first person to bring it up, said it wasn't because of the amazing monologues. He wanted 
the interviews to be shorter because of my crap interviewing technique. His actual words were, you're no Mark Maron, Rob. So, fuck you, Tom. If you want the interviews longer, you want more of it. You want two interviews, you want no readings. I am open to suggestions here. And I'm getting, other than make the monologue longer and the interview shorter, I'm getting almost no no feedback on this podcast, despite the fact I'm getting, you know, 150 listeners per podcast now, which, you know, I've looked at other literature podcasts and I'm kicking a lot of their asses. Uh, That sounds snooty. I shouldn't say that. Maybe I'll edit that out. I've also been in contact with some dude at a place called Ferguson House to hopefully find a permanent location for the podcast itself, for the podcast interviews. It's in Salford, this Ferguson House, and it's home to loads of uh, arts and music organizations. And it looks really fucking cool. And half the rooms seem to have soundproofing already installed. And it's also cheap, which is great. I mean, it's great that I don't have to pay a lot of money, but it's crap because I have to wait for someone to die or move out before I can get a place in there. So if you're one of these people inside Ferguson House, uh, if you're listening, maybe you're even listening to this from inside there, if you could kindly get lost, you'd be doing me a massive solid because then I'd have a place um, to do it permanently and maybe even have like curtains and some weirdo lighting. That'd be cool. I have got a litany of uh, awesome guests lined up, none of which I can talk about yet um, because they haven't been totally firmed up, uh, except for Laura Robertson. She's, I think hers will be the next one. She runs a magazine in Liverpool called The Double Negative. So look, yeah, Liverpool, man. That, I am pretty sure Liverpool is in the Northwest. And I am trying to make it less Manchester-centric, but let's be honest, all the cool shit's in Manchester. So maybe she will convince me that Liverpool has any kind of merit. Maybe one of the people I'm interviewing is you. If so, I look forward to talking to you and to the rest of you. Thanks for listening. Bye.